ADHD is 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 kind of like the sriracha. Like if you had a whole plate full of sriracha, it's just going to be too much. But if you're missing the sriracha, there's like something missing. Like you need to have a little bit of everything for it to be complete. Richard Branson, Michael Phelps, Justin Timberlake, James Carville. Wait a minute. Where are the women? Greta Gerwig, Lisa Ling, Audra McDonald, Simone Biles. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. They all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that now, do you? You know what else you don't hear about? Are the 43% of people with ADHD who are in excellent mental health. Why aren't we talking about them and what they're doing right? I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and that's exactly what we do here. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, and now the author of my new book, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm also a certified ADHD coach and the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a patented system that helps ADHD women just like you get unstuck and fall in love with their brilliant brains. Here, we embrace our too-muchness and we focus on our strengths. My guests and I credit our ADHD for some of our greatest gifts. And to those who still think they're too much, too impulsive, too scattered, too disorganized, I say no one ever made a difference by being too little. (laughs) I hope I didn't like literally, I'm sure I did because that's probably on the video, right, that I'm coughing. Anyway, hello. I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 252. I hope that you'll pre-order my new book. It's named after this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women, and you can find it at ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash book. I guess the browsers, they don't like the word ass, so you get blocked if that's in your URL. So it is ADHDforsmartwomen.com. My purpose, as you know, is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. And so, of course, I am just delighted to introduce you to Lisa Lewis. Lisa Lewis is an HR professional with over 12 years of comprehensive human resources and management experience. She's passionate about learning development, creating systems systematic, oh my God, systematic processes to build a high-performance workforce and team culture development. Lisa values empathy, dignity, and respect in the workplace with a clear focus on diversity, equality, and inclusion. Lisa received a late diagnosis of ADHD and now attributes her diverse background and success to her neurodiversity. Originally from Toronto, Ontario, Why am I having such problems with your bio? I don't know. Ontario. She's moved back and forth across Canada, lived for a few years in the United Kingdom, and she's had the opportunity to work and travel to over 40 countries. Lisa is a mother of two neurodiverse teen girls, has an addiction to TED Talks, collects cats, but not on purpose. I love that one. And loves trail running for health and sanity with her two husky Malamute crosses. Lisa, welcome. Did I get all of that right? Even though I sputtered all over it. You did. Thank you so much. Wonderful. So 
Before we talk about what it is that you do, I would love to know about your background, specifically your ADHD diagnoses. Can you give us a story? What happened? How did it come about? Sure. So I've been working in uh, the field of neurodiversity for about 25 years. I I kind of fell into it. So I was uh, about 25 years ago, I was trained in applied behavior analysis and I was working for the regional program back in Toronto. And then when I um, moved over uh, across Canada to Vancouver Island, I was working for the regional program here. And so um, most of the kids that we were working with had an autism diagnosis or a co-occurring diagnosis of ADHD, learning disabilities, multiple other things. And I've been working with these these kids for ages and, and probably about it was about uh, eight or nine years ago, my boss at the time said, we were talking late at night and she said, you know, you have adult ADHD. And I was like, shut up. What are you talking about? And she was like, yeah, you do. And so when, uh, when we hung up, I, I Googled traits of ADHD and I think 12 came up and I had 11. So I was like, well, maybe she's got something here. And so I went to have a, an official diagnosis. So I went to show up at the, the medical center to meet the uh, the psychiatrist and a friend of mine who I don't even really know was working there. And she was like, Hey, like, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, apparently I might have ADHD. And she's like, yeah, thing. <laughs> All these people have known me for years and no one said anything beforehand. And I've been working with, you know, so many kids and people who had ADHD, but couldn't see the traits in myself. So I went in and I was talking to the psychiatrist and he looked very psychiatristy. He had, you know, the, the elbow pads and, you know, the little tiny glasses. And he's very, very serious and studious. And he, so we sat, we sit down, he starts asking questions. And then I was getting, I was getting irritated because he was going, talking too slow. And I was just like, wait, 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 wait. I'm like, why don't I just tell you why I think I'm here? And he's like, all right. And so I yammered off about this and this and this and this. And, and then he's like, can I finish? And I was like, sure. So, you know, we, I think we talked for about an hour and a half. And then he was like, so it sounds like you have a couple of questions about ADHD. And I said, well, yeah, you know, like this is something that, you know, I thought I wasn't smart when I was a kid who would explain so much, like this is why I'm here. And he said, well, you know, uh, in the diagnostic, um, when you're diagnosing someone with ADHD, there's a lot of gray, you know, it, it could have, you know, a lot of different childhood trauma and different things could, you know, he portrayed as ADHD. He's like, but you, you're like the most ADHD person I have ever met. Usually <laughs> I first recommend mindfulness, but you were going straight to medication and signed it off. And it was just kind of funny the way I was just like, took over the, um, uh, I took over the, the assessment. And then when I, I did, I decided to take a mindfulness course and it was almost like putting Tabasco in my eyes. It was like so slow. And they're saying, okay, well, you know, we'll look at the purse in front of you. Is it soft? Is it, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, come on, come on, come on. Just give me the tools so I can get out of here. I got other things to do. Um, But yeah, a lot of things have changed since then. So I'm curious, what was Lisa like as a child? Uh, It was, it would surprise many people who know me now. um, But I was extremely shy. I, I, was very quiet. Oh, well, especially at school, um, the friends that I had, uh, I was, I was, I was like the sheep. I was the follower. The friends that they were very bossy. They were like, "Hey, you know." I remember this one girl. She had like, these long braids. I don't even remember what her name was. 
And she was like, hey, come on, hold my racket. We're going to go over there. I'm going to beat up those boys over there, grab my bag. And I was like, all right, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Half the time I would, you know, if I was at home, I would go call on the neighbor's dogs instead of people uh, ah, to go geez. hang out with. I was just very quiet and shy and reserved. And then when I hit high school, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden I just started talking and I haven't stopped talking since. Um, well, it's interesting because we know dopamine modulates estrogen. And I believe that where most ADHD shows up for women is in puberty. So it makes sense. That would make total sense. I, I, when I was younger, I felt, always felt awkward, felt, you know, I, I, I just felt like I didn't fit in or didn't belong. Um, when I got into high school, I, I got some confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of like fit in with a bunch of different groups. I would like flit around. I would, you know, I was very athletic. So I hung out with the athletic people and, uh, you know, there was the, the goth kids and I would like to hang out with them. And I had some cool, you know, uh, relationships there. And, and, you know, I would just kind of flit around, but I was like the goofy one. I was the clown and I just kind of jumped around and, you know, in some social settings I was on fire and I was just like, you know, I, I own the group. And in other times I was just like a gangly, awkward teenager. I, Yeah, it just didn't seem to. It's interesting your story, though, because what I typically hear is women who have ADHD and when they were younger, they were really confident and then they got into their teen years and the confidence just plummeted versus with you. It almost sounds like it was a little bit opposite. It was definitely opposite. But I also. Again, like, like you know, after listening to quite a few women in your podcast. Um, I knew there was something different. I knew there was something wrong and I couldn't figure it out. With academics, it was hard, but not consistently hard. I, you know, I was pretty much a, an AB student, but I had to work hard at it. Mm. Um, some subjects I flew through, others, you know, especially um, I didn't like math and my parents wanted to make sure that I, you know, had a good academic standing. So they always wanted me to take the advanced math. So I would go before and after school to to tutor and, and to make sure that I was, was in there. Mm-hmm. And it, I would do well on projects, tests and exams. I didn't, I had no memory and things would just, yeah. I, I, when I would try to study or, or things like this, I remember just seeing black and I was mm-hmm. like, why, why is my mind? Like I literally saw black. Like I don't understand. I couldn't figure out why I was different and why I couldn't think. And it didn't help that my best friend at the time always got like 110%. She got all the bonus questions. She applied to Harvard. And my mom was always like, you know, why can't you be more like Lori? Why can't you do this? And I'm just, I couldn't figure out what was different between her and I. And it was just, I just figured that I wasn't very smart. Because when you talked to her, when you interacted with her, you felt like you guys were basically the same person. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out why, you know, during certain classes, it just all came to me. And, and I, I understood it, I got it, and I excelled. And then in, in other classes, I just couldn't get it. It didn't matter how many times I repeat or I would read something. And by the time I got to the bottom of the page, I'd forgotten what I had read, what I had read. It, like it just didn't sink in. And I, was, and I was like, how can I make this happen? How can I make this work? So I remember in your letter to me, you sent me an email, and you wrote that you just didn't think you were smart enough to go to college, so you didn't go to college. Yet you were an AB student. So how are you an AB student, yet you still don't think you're smart enough to go to college? I was completely insecure and I couldn't, I knew that there was something different and I knew that I was having these difficulties 
in studying and I didn't want to be embarrassed by not getting in. So I would just say, I'm not going to put myself out there. Um, I was always good helplessness. Yeah, I just I I just figured in my head, people who went to university were all brilliant and, and I was not that. And so I, you know, I didn't even I didn't even look at it. So I was always good at art. And so I decided to take graphic design, not because it was something that I was dying to do, but it was just something that was in the art field that I knew that I could make money at. And so I got enrolled in the uh, local college and, and went to to do that. When you said that you were just so inconsistent, you know, you would do really well in one class and then you wouldn't do well in another class. Do you now know what the difference was? Um, it, it was interest. A hundred percent. I would if it was something that I was interested in and it would just I would just click and I would get it. But if it wasn't something that I was interested in and math was not something I was interested in, it it just didn't happen. Like even now, like trying to play crib, I can't do math in my head. Don't don't even ask me. I'm not going to play crib. I'm not going to play cards. It gives me so much anxiety and it's ridiculous because it's like basically counting to 20. Like I can't it just don't ask me. Yeah, absolutely. So if you would continue your story that I so rudely interrupted. So you graduate from high school. You enroll in this graphic design. Was that a program or? Yeah, it's uh, it was a two year program. I enjoyed it. I was doing really well. But then I, you know, I kind of pulled Elisa where, you know, it was like a month or two before uh, I was to graduate. Uh, one of my good friends, she was moving to Scotland. Uh, that's where she's, she had dual citizenship and she was going to train to be a midwife. And she was like, Lisa, you should come to, to Scotland. And I was like, I had all these different excuses. I had never been on a plane. I had never been anywhere. And I was like, oh, it's really important. I have to stay here and blah, blah, blah. And she said, Plus you have no. to graduate, right? Yeah. And, and she, and she said to me, Lisa, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And I was like, it just clicked. I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to go. It's much more important to go find myself than to finish these last two months of, of school after you know, spending. What did your parents say? They weren't happy. But, <laughs> but they have always been very supportive of, of me. And, and they knew that I was going to do what I was going to do. Um, they always called me the fruitcake growing up. I was always the, the flaky one who was always like, oh, like, oh, there's, of course she did, Lisa. Of course she did. You know, I was always all over the place. And so I meant to go to the UK for, you know, maybe a month or two, ended up staying probably about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where at the time I thought that it was, you know, me being flaky and flighty and, and, and not being consistent. And then looking back at, I was, that is my wanting to, like, I love talking to people and, and, and being impulsive how kind of my life played out. So like I, I go to Scotland and then I, you know, I was working at a, a photography gallery and I was working at a cafe and I started talking to people and, and you know, when the chef was like, I'm going to move up to the Highlands and I got a job at a resort there. And I was like, well, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. And so I just like followed her along up to the Highlands of Scotland to um, Ullapool. So I had like, you know, five pubs, no grocery store, the next town was an hour and a half away and it was like totally remote and beautiful and amazing. And I remember Leonard Cohen had a house there. I remember sitting in Leonard Cohen's house. He wasn't there, but I was just like, I can't even believe I'm here. And then I met this Aussie couple and they were like, you know what? We've got friends, our, our friend who's, who's, you know, in the Tour de France. We're going to go follow him around. We're going to follow the Tour de France. And I was like, 
well, that sounds like an awesome idea. So I quit my job. And with this couple, just the three of us, we get into the VW van and we spend the summer following the Tour de France. We get down to Spain. They're like, you know, let's go to the running of the bulls. Let's go to the running of the bulls. And, you know, while I was there, we ended up staying at a, um, a campground that was full of hell's angels. And they made these garbage pails full of sangria. And we just hung out with these hell's angels and went to the running of the bulls. Not a bullfight. Um, and it was so no, much Did fun. you actually do the running of the bulls? Were you one of the people running? I know. I, we watched the run. And, but the wildest thing happened. So we watched the run. And so every, so every day for seven days, they have their running and then they have the bullfight at night. I, I didn't want to see a bullfight. Yeah. But the coolest thing happened. So like when you go to the running of the bulls, they run through the town and then they go into this large arena. And there's tons of people all wearing white and red in the arena and the bulls come in and then they run through and then they go through um, back into the back area. And then they let out two bulls at a time. And I don't understand the whole background of it, but everyone's, it, it, well, it's, you know, the bulls getting their revenge. So all these people would sit down in front of the doors and the bulls would run over them and then they would kind of run around and then people would kind of like chase the bulls with newspapers and hit them. And then the bulls would like lie down. But the coolest thing happened, they would let out two dairy cows and the dairy cows would come out. And I don't know how they knew where the bull was on their own, sandwich the bull and walk him back in. And then they would do this again. It was it was kind of wild to see how the animals just knew how to do this. But yeah. And so then I realized I had no money. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, I've got to do something. And they were going to follow on. So they ended up dropping me off in Toulouse. And I had enough for a flight to Wales, where a friend of mine uh, lived. Uh, but it wasn't until the next day. And I had a tin of beans. And I think I had like maybe two or three euro. And I didn't even have a can opener. And the flight wasn't until the next day. And I just figured I would just hang out at the airport until then. And then they were like, you know, 11 o'clock. I didn't realize everyone was gone. They're like, you have to leave. And it's in the middle of nowhere in the south of France. And I was like, I have nowhere to go. No l'argent, nothing. And they were like, too bad, out. So of course, it's, you know, two o'clock in the morning. And I call my mother and say, I'm in the south of France. And I've got no money. And I, I'm in the dark. And who knows? And so just to give her a complete heart attack. And then went to go sleep on a park bench. And then these men came out. And they said, you have to leave. And I said, I had no money. And they checked through on my bag and I just kind of sat there and trying to talk to them and they were like come on in and where the bags go around that's where I slept and they gave me juice and muffins and (laughs) when I woke up in the morning because it's such a small airport they were like oh you're the girl who slept on the the luggage rounds and I was like yeah and they're like oh well your flight was at seven at night and you're with you know now you're here at seven in the morning and you can you know hang out with the pilots and I was like amazing so then I went to Wales and I started bartending there and I was a terrible, terrible bartender. Um, but it was okay because it was a you know, super busy, like a nightclub pub. People would come up and they would say, you know, I want a pint of this. And I would say, here you go. And they're like, that's not it. And I'm like, you're fine. Here you go. So what else? They would just got whatever they got. Uh, <laughs> oh, so that was the perfect place for you to pub, right? Or you to bartend. And then, you know, I met people there and then we went through Ireland and France and then, you know, I came back home. It was just... You forgot about the selling firecrackers out of the back of a moving truck? Oh, well, and this is the thing is like I've... I always 
people would always just say, like, Lisa, you just talk to anyone. And it's not just me. It's my it's my entire, my mom's side of the family. She has four sisters and all of us are the exact same. We just talk to anybody. And so, you know, I would go, just someone would mention something about, you know, this. And I was like, hey, I'll do that. And it was like, I had all these different jobs, but it was like for here, just picking them up here and there. So like, yeah, would sell firecrackers out of the back of the moving truck for May long weekend or whatever else, or um, selling flowers on the side of the highway. I I remember going into a hair salon when I was like 15 and I kind of like walked through and there was a really cute hairdresser working there. And I was just like, well, looks like you need some help here. There's some dust around here. You should hire me on. And so, you know, I worked there for a little while. I worked at a mortgage office. Like I kind of just, it, it, and almost didn't even look for jobs. I would just start talking to people and things would pop up. And so I'd be like, sure, I'll do that. Why not? I'll, you know, sell bingo cards. I'll, you know, I'll bartend. I'll do whatever you want. Were your parents worried? Well, yes. They, it was always just like I was the flaky one. I was the one like with the head of my clouds and just kind of like, you know. So how many kids are in your family? There's myself and my sister. And was your sister completely different than you? The opposite of me in every single way. She's okay. blonde and she's quiet and she's very um, straightforward. She's the best person in the world. I always tell her I like you and nobody else. Completely <laughs> hilarious. And she's just, yeah, she's amazing. But she was really studious, didn't have problems with school, just kind of skated through. No, well, yeah, she she had her few her few bumps in high school. She would, but yeah, she's just very she's straight. She she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't have the impulsivity. She doesn't have it's like a, an opposite personality type. Now my mother is is different. Where we're almost like I don't know if we're oil and water or oil and oil. Where we're always clashing, and I can't tell if it's like because we're exactly the same. Ah. Or or different. Um, and when I told her I had ADHD, she's like, oh, Lisa, come on. You're always just like putting these things. And then after, you know, she. Well, and that little- feels good, right? Right. Well, and then, you know, her sisters were all like, you know what? Like, you do too. Meaning your your mom does. Yes. Ah. And so now she says she has ADHD, X, Y, Z. She has all the letters. She's got all the things. Wait a minute. So now your mom says she has ADHD or is she talking about you? Uh, her, that she does. Oh. That she totally. And so she dismissed it in you, but now she's like, I've got it. But does she now agree that you have it too? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. And it's just, you know, the not knowing. She didn't understand what it was. And it was just like, you're, you know, you're off on another tangent on something else, you know? But look, like she is an amazing woman. Like when I was born, she was a, a, a Swiss LA waitress and she worked her way, you know, from there. And then she got a job as a bank teller and then, you know, to the manager of the bank. And then she became one of the top mortgage brokers in Canada. Ah. And she doesn't have post-secondary education, but yeah. because she's a talker, you know what yeah. I mean? But he loved her. And I remember she would work like a dog. She would come home from work and she would sit down to eat and she had to take like 20 minutes to like just catch her breath. To mm-hmm. like unwind. Mm-hmm. But if someone needed help or someone needed anything, she was there. Everyone called her the angel. And she's funny as hell. My family's all from Newfoundland and they're all hilarious. Um, but yeah, we very much love each other and get along or we fight even when we're agreeing about the same thing. I'll be like, I'm agreeing with you. And she's like, oh my gosh. Well, it sounds like 
it probably is because you are so alike. She knows exactly who you are. She can feel it. And so when she sees you making what she thinks, you know, maybe she made that mistake before, right? She can see it. Even if it turns out right, she's worried because it's not what she would decide to do. Exactly. And I think that's the emotional regulation piece as well, where it's like, you know, when we're happy, we're super happy. And Mm -hmm. when we're upset, we're like, it's just like heartbreaking. And so when she gets worried, it stresses her out so much. And she just like, it almost gets like an anger. You know what I mean? Because you just want to make sure everything's going to be okay. And it's funny because I recognize a lot of my mother's traits when I'm with my own girls. Ah. When they get hurt, I'm almost like, I almost get upset. Like, oh, can't get hurt because it's just like, it almost like takes pieces out of you. Yeah. Yeah. So Lisa, the fruitcake, found an area 20 years ago that she fell in love with. And so she's not a fruitcake anymore. Right? No, no. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I felt like I've come into my own and, and, you know, getting the diagnoses really helped me understand who I was before and who I am now. And it, uh, things make sense. And I think that you, when you get a diagnosis and you start learning about how your own brain works and what works for you and, and you're learning all these different strategies and you realize that you had already created these strategies in the past without realizing that that's what you were doing. And I make more sense to me now than I did before, where before I just felt like I was, I was lost. I felt broken and just like, why can't I do anything right? And then I realized I did everything that I was meant to do to get to the place where I'm at now. Yeah. And I'm sure all of those jobs, every single one of them, there was a little piece that you figured out one more thing about yourself. Oh, 100%. And then everything that you, every, everywhere that you go and everyone that you meet and all the education that you do, it all builds together yeah. and, and relates to each other somehow and can help you out as you go on. Um, it's, I, I think this is why I have my addiction to TED Talks. My, uh, my husband, he's always like, Lisa, it's not normal to do like, you know, like 10 workshops in a week or, or, or I love the learning. I love listening and, uh, and, and TED Talks is the stories. You know what I mean? It's, n- it's, it's not just, you know, rote basic facts. It's, it's like something with depth and, and it's an experience and it's, uh, I just find it so captivating. So is there anything else that's changed since you were diagnosed? Yes. And I feel like I was lucky because I was able to be on both sides of the fence as like at one point as a seemingly neurotypical. And then again, as like a someone who is neurodiverse, where, you know, I went to school, I, you know, I learned all about applied behavior analysis and, you know, this, which is like the science of human behavior. And I was working with, you know, all these kids who had an autism diagnosis. And I remember one particular time I was working with this little guy. He was adorable. And we were working on emotional regulation. And he kept saying to me, he was, I think he was five. And he said, Lisa, this isn't working. And I said, well, you know, the book says that that works. And, you know, all we have to do is we have to try a little bit harder and practice a little bit more and you're Mm going to get it. Because, you know, I read all the books and I'm the adult and this is what we have Mm -hmm. to do. 
And then I was diagnosed and I tried these same strategies on myself. And I was like, wow, I should have listened to that five-year-old when he said that that strategy was not working for him. Yeah. And you need to listen to the individual and follow and work together to figure out what strategies are going to work and how it's going to be. And I think before where I had had all this rote learning and, you know, I was very grateful for having the opportunity to learn so much about all these different neurodiversities, the science and, and the basic information around it. But I also, at the same time, have met hundreds of people who are neurodiverse because, as we know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so I worked with so many kids, but then their families will come in and they're like, you know, I'm not diagnosed, you know, with autism, but, you know, I can read a book in a weekend. And, you know, I'm a chemical engineer and I travel all around the world and I don't like anyone sitting on the left side of my couch. Uh, She's like, I get it. They're all different, though, right? It's kind of like ADHD. You meet one person with ADHD, you've met one person with ADHD. We are all so different. Well, that's exactly the more that I learn about ADHD and neurodiversity, mm-hmm. the more that I know I don't know because yeah. it is so vast. And like I've again, like I've worked and been friends with and and been around so many people and I've never met two alike and never have two um, people where it gets so you don't even see any difference because it's just the person. Like both of my girls have ADHD and all three of us present completely differently and we're from the same gene pool. You know what I mean? In in what way? Can you explain? Well, Priya, she's, she's more like me. She's, she's uh, constantly thinking, going, you know, both of us have never been on time, not super late, but, you know, always a little bit late, uh, a little bit more impulsive. Where Callie, Callie, I don't think she's she's got the H. She's got the hyperactivity. <laughs> she was always like, we'd be eating dinner and all of a sudden she starts scaling the walls and she doesn't stop talking or moving. And she's got like more confidence than you've ever seen anyone. She's just like a firecracker. She's hilarious. And it's just but she, she's on time and she gets all of her projects done on time where Priya and I, it's, it's the very last minute. It just waits till like, you know, just give the edge of the line. Yeah. But it's cool. You know what I mean? Because we are different. And, you know, like if you go to the DSM and you have your, your diagnostic criteria. So like, you know, um, for let's say for autism, you have to get hit so many traits in these three different domains. But let's say you have some, but not all, you still have those difficulties, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You may still have a hard time with social communication or, or whatever else, but you don't have all of the traits. And so now you're now you're neurotypical because you didn't hit a few. Yeah. It's it's everybody has things that they have a hard time with and whatever else. And you know, our, our ADHD makes it difficult, but also amazing. And so you just have to like work with the individual to find out what works and what doesn't and and support person for who they are. It doesn't really matter the criteria. I had a guest come on, Andonette Wilkinson. She's ADHD and has autism. And she explained it so, like I'd never heard it explained in that way. And I thought it was brilliant. She said, I feel like it's a constellation, right? In the sky. And however many stars come into, those are symptoms, right? Or traits. However many stars are more in one area versus another, that's the label that you get. But it's all different. And sometimes there's a bunch of labels, right? But it feels to me like it's all part of the same thing. 
Well, completely. And and like, I'm so, I don't like, I did feel broken. I did feel like I wasn't enough. I always felt lesser than. Mm-hmm. And I'm tired of it. I don't want to feel like that. And I, I just get so tired of hearing the, the us and them. You know what I mean? Like someone with, you know, ADHD, they're, you know, they're always late or they're always disorganized. And I'm right. like, really? Have you met everyone? Like mm-hmm. I myself, I am like ridiculously organized. Like I cannot answer an email if there's dishes in the sink. Yeah. But my friends are the opposite. So how, how can you say that everyone is, has all of these traits? Yeah. Or, um, Sorry, I forgot I was going to even going to say. I remember when I was diagnosed and I was working at a clinic and one of the analysts who also had ADHD, she, she said, you know what, to learn a little bit more about this, why don't you read Dr. Rus- Russell Barkley's Taking mm. uh, Control Over Your Adult ADHD. Yeah. And so I started reading it and I picked it up and put it down three times because I was so completely overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. where when I had had my, you know, when I looked it up and there was those 12 kind of, you know, basic traits around ADHD. Yeah. Um, that was okay because they were very basic. But when he starts discussing all the different traits, I think there was like 44 different traits, but they were so specific. And it was like, you know, has a hard time with budgeting and drives. And so that negative. Right. right. And, but it's also like, are you in my house? Like, how do you know I drive fast? Yeah. And it was like, like, where does ADHD end and I begin? Like, like it was just too much because like, there are like thousands of Lisa's running around who are exactly the same as me and I didn't get it. And now I get it. There's no us in them, but it's like getting it out there to have people to understand because the, the stereotypes and biases just come straight up. Absolutely. There was this one time I went to a, it was after I got diagnosed, I was invited to go to a bachelorette party. And we went and it was at a winery, a local winery. And I didn't know any of the women there. I only knew the bride. And it was very fancy. And we're all standing. It was a luncheon and it was lovely. And everyone's wearing flower dresses. And all the women are talking. And, and they, they said, oh, did you hear about Susan? And they're like, you know, the one with ADHD. You know, he got married. They're like, oh, well, that's so good. Good for him. Susan got married, the one with ADHD. <laughs> and I wanted to say like, you know what? I have ADHD and I drove here all by myself. <laughs> it's just, the, the, it's, you know, everyone can't be exposed. You only know what you know. And so you end up, that's where you get stuck on your biases of what you see in movies or what you've heard. Yeah. And you get stuck there because you haven't had the opportunity to experience people and to just listen and know more. It, it's almost like when you hear the word diagnosis, people get scared. That you know, there's something wrong. Yeah, but it's not wrong. No, not at all. I want to ask you about um, applied behavior analysis because I have you here, and I'm sure you know how the autism community feels about ABA. Um, I would love your take on it because I know this is what you did for how many years? Oh, ah, oh, wow! It was like probably. I definitely have time blindness. I cannot tell you a year for anything. Uh, probably, I was probably an interventionist for probably about 12 or 13 years. And then I went into, then I became a manager of a service provider and then into HR for another service provider. A long time. So yeah. when I first 
got into the field. And again, it was very much, you know, someone said, hey, they're hiring to, you know, work with autism. And I was like, what's autism? I'd never even heard of. I had, you know, no, no background or experience with, with it. And, and I got hired on in the regional program and they had a very intensive training in applied behavior analysis, which is the science of human behavior. Mm-hmm. And it was very strict. You had to speak monotone and it was when I first started, it was awful. I remember this poor little kiddo. He was just, he was lovely. And uh, he was the sweetest kiddo. He had very uh, limited language at this point. And he had three programs and it was like, come sit, look at me and respond to name. And I was with him eight hours a day. And that's all. And I was just like, buddy, you want let's go jump in the pool. Let's go first. Let's go. And yeah. I was constantly because it just, it didn't feel right. Mm-mm. And then when I moved, that was in Toronto. And then when I moved over to um, Vancouver Island and I started working there, it was much more um, naturalistic. We had, a, you know, made like a, like a mock kindergarten program. And so all the different kids were working on like writing their name or whatever else. But we did it in an inclusive setting. So they didn't realize that they were kind of like working on these specific things. They would mm-hmm. go, you know, go off to their own, uh, with their own interventions to, to work with things, but still kind of very strict. And what used to happen, and I, I don't know if it still happens now, is where, you know, I, what I, well, what I appreciate about applied behavior analysis is I appreciate learning about the different diagnoses, the different traits, but also about the learning process, about how to break down a task that so you're learning how to tie your shoes into to much smaller steps. And, you know, just to, to do that with, you know, shorter periods of time and repetition and positive reinforcement. What I don't agree with and, 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 and I think has also been constantly evolving and is not happening as much as it used to is let's say if you were flapping your hands because you were excited to self-regulate or if you were upset where they would change it to like a quiet hands and try to to make it something more socially acceptable mm-hmm. and you know what if you be you like if like yeah i like the learning component but not the the changing of, of who you are and and I, it has to be multidisciplinary you know what i mean like you let's say you know someone's upset because they they don't want to sleep because they're scared at night and if you look at just at the science, so you could be like, okay, so they're in their bed, they are safe, they are fine, that nothing's going to hurt them. But what about leaving them in the, in the trauma around? Like, what if they have trauma? What if they have other things? Like, everyone's so multifaceted, you have to kind of consider everything, right? Yeah. And so it's, again, working with, with the person and, and being completely person-centered. Like, you know, by the time I had you know, finished it, we, we would talk to the kiddos and then or especially more so with the the youth and be like what do you want to learn like mm-hmm. what what do you want to do mm-hmm. and so they had like it's all about being person-centered and and them leading what they want to work on it and learn more about which makes so much sense right because of interest yes exactly so definitely there was uh the benefits and things that that you know didn't didn't feel right with with me at the same time too, and it's you know it's a huge conversation in our community as well. Um, but then also too, like at the same time, where 
you know, the last clinic space I worked at, um, most of the clinicians had some type of, of neurodiversity, you know, mm-hmm. some autism, some had uh, ADHD or, or some other co-occurring things. And so it was just commonplace to talk about it. Like there was no yeah. hiding it. There was no shame around it. It was just like, oh, I'm having a really hard time with focus. And so like, okay, well, why don't you just like work on your focus time, figure out what your focus time is and, you know, take a break after, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Or it was, everyone had flexible work schedules. It was just, you know, whatever you, you know, whatever works for you, as long as you get your hours in, work with them. If it's two o'clock in the morning, you do you. And, or people be like talking out loud because that's how they processed, you know, when they were reading through, you know, their their different um, articles or whatever, they would talk out loud. And it was just, it was commonplace. And people would always come up to me and say, I think it's weird that you talk, like you have no shame around your diagnoses. And I was like, well, I was never in a culture where there was shame. And so I find it so, which is even why I'm even more passionate about it now where. um, But there kind of was, Lisa. I mean, if you, you know, you were called the fruitcake, right? Yes. So there was a ton of shame, but I didn't know I had ADHD then. I just thought I was weird and different and not smart. By the time I was diagnosed, I was in that realm when I understood what ADHD was. Yeah. But I was surrounded by neurodiverse people who had no shame around it. Got it. You know what I mean? They were frustrated about, you know, oh, why, why is my memory so horrible? So you weren't embarrassed at all about the diagnoses. It was a relief that, oh, my gosh, I finally know what explained these behaviors. Yes and no. It was like... Yes, I, it was a huge relief. It like explained so many things and I was always free to talk about it, but I always wish, like the, I always struggled with like, why can I not remember things? And like, why can I, you know, why is, is processing this taking me so long or why can't I just be on time? And so I struggled with that. And, you know, the one thing that does embarrass me all the time is my over-talking. And I, I would like when we would be driving to parties or social situations where I wasn't too sure, I remember talking to myself and saying, Lisa, just don't talk, don't talk, don't talk, because you're going to embarrass yourself and, and talk over people. I remember it was a huge difference when I, I went to medication and I went, uh, I, you know, I took uh, my first, I started taking Adderall and all of a sudden it was like, there was a huge difference. Mm. But I still, and I was waiting for this like magic pill to help with some things and not with other things. Yeah. And so I'm a huge researcher. So I was like, I am going to research and find the best medication, you know, for this. And and again, like all, you were, all I was finding was just what they were and their side effects. It didn't tell me what was better. It didn't tell me, you know, right. what it helped with. Um, and then I soon learned that, you know, all the medications are completely different in it. It's how they react to you. Yeah. And so I tried, you know, I tried Vyvanse for a while. I tried three times, but the crash at the end of the day made me so depressed. I was just like, why am I trying to fix something that's not broken? Adderall actually does work for me. Mm -hmm. And then they, I was talking to a psychiatrist and I was like, I'm really embarrassed about my over-talking. So why don't you try this drug called guamphacine? It's Mm -hmm. supposed to be like an impulse uh, inhibitor. And I was telling one of the women that I worked with, one of the analysts, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to start taking this, this guamphacine so that, you know, I, I stopped talking. And she was like, Lisa, I love you the way you are. Why would you want to change? And it, it shocked me at first because I was like, sister, I'm doing this for you. I'm helping you out. <laughs> you get a break. Yeah. And it was just so moving to me that 
who I was was okay. And everyone thought it was okay. It was my assumption that I was too much to other people. Yeah. You just need to get around different people then, right? (laughs) Well, exactly. My book, ADHD for Smartass Women with HarperCollins' William Morrow is now available for pre-order and I need your help. I wrote this book to change the conversation around ADHD because I was certain that it was wrong. And I knew that because every single time I met one of you, it confirmed again what I say on this podcast every episode. But I've never met an ADHD woman that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. Let's help as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. Let's help as many women as we possibly can fall in love with their ADHD brain. Pre-order my book at ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash book. And when you do, you're going to get access to all kinds of bonuses, like two live workshops with me. One on what ADHD really looks like in women for November. Another on ADHD stress and sleep, specifically how to get better sleep. And these are strategies that work, and they're from a former denier of the importance of sleep, who has since been reformed. You can ask my husband about that. That one's in December. You'll also get our ADHD for Smartass Women appendix, where we've curated the best books, websites, directories, and tools for falling in love with your ADHD brain, all for the cost of a $28 book. I'm super excited to share some advanced praise for this book. From Publishers Weekly, Otsuka adapts her podcast of the same name into an accessible debut guide aimed at helping women to harness their neurodivergent traits to achieve their goals. Those new to their diagnoses will glean as much valuable insight from Otsuka's strategies as from her explanations of such matters as why emotional regulation is more difficult for neurodivergent women than neurotypical women. Delivered in lucid and unpretentious prose, this is a solid starting point for those just beginning to learn about ADHD and its effects on the brain. From Dr. Edward Hallowell, author of 22 books on ADHD, she was born to deliver a message. You will see it bursting out on every page. Thanks to her, dot, 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 the textbooks are being rewritten. From Katherine Ellison, Pulitzer Prize winner and author of Buzz, A Year of Paying Attention. Tracy Otsuka's sparkling smart-ass positivity pours over these pages, powerful enough to lift the lowest self-esteem. From Dr. Christine Lee, clinical psychologist and host of the Make Time for Success podcast, Otsuka is truly the caring and wise fairy godmother of women with ADHD. And her book, ADHD for Smartass Women, is the lifeline, roadmap, guidance, and inspiration you've been looking for. You can find ADHD for Smartass Women, the book, at ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash book. Go order it right now before you forget. I know you. So women with ADHD might find it challenging to advocate for themselves in the workplace. Is there a way for them to effectively communicate their needs and challenges without fear of judgment or stigma? This is, this is my huge hyper-focus right now. This is, this is what's 
my my heart and my passion and, and everything else because I'm so tired again of the shame and 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 the not knowing. And if you, you know, if you look at listen to any of the social media, any of the job coaches, any of everything, everyone's just like, don't don't disclose, don't, right? Don't disclose, you know, um hide who you are. Like I've been told to, you know, I'm horrible at, at interviews to like dumb down my resume and just get a, a you know, a, a, a entry position and work my way up. Or, you know, don't say that, you know, you, you know, you want to work a, a 30 hour work week, you know, um, pretend that it's okay. And then after you hit your probationary period, get a, um, you know, a, a note from your, your doctor that at least you know how to do this. Come on, get a note from your doctor. And, and say that, you know, you have some kind of medical condition that or, or anxiety that you need to, to have a lower. But it, it, it doesn't make sense to me and it, and it kills me. And so this is why I've, I've started this new, I've opened up my own business to kind of support this. And actually, um, I've been emailing with uh, Dr. Megan Ann Neuf, who was on your show, because when she was on your show, I started listening to her and it was like, I've, I was always been trying to figure out how to describe our different traits with depth, but not as a deficit. Uh, mm -hmm. it, and she does it. She's like, oh, when I started listening to her, her other podcast, I think it's called Divergent Minds or Divergent Conversations. Mm -hmm. It was like when, you know, they say, you know, someone who, someone who is autistic, they have a slow processing time. But she's like, well, you know, you, you have a slow processing time because you're taking in so much information. You're taking in more than a neurotypical yes. brain. So you're processing more. So it's not a deficit. It's not that you're slow. It has nothing to do with your intellect. It's that you have got so much information coming in. It takes you longer. Do it's you know actually I mean? better. It's better. Exactly. And, and that's why I was messaging with her. I was like, okay, I need your help because I want, you know, if I am doing this, I want to make sure that what I have is correct. And so she said that she would, you know, help me with my, with my definitions to be able to give them depth and give them understanding. Because I think when you go into the workplace, I want to be able to educate organizations how it actually feels to have neurodiversity mm -hmm. while you're in the workplace. How, like what these traits are, like when it's, it's not a, it's not a deficit, it's, who we are and you know sometimes well will you you know everyone will need an accommodation near you know neurotypical or not or neurodiverse or not and actually i think it was like there's a some 80 percent of of a people who ask for accommodations in the workplace are actually neurotypical because we have so much shame around it we won't it is our very last resort before we're going to go admit that we need help you know what wow. i mean there's so much shame for after being told you know you're lazy or disorganized or this or whatever to go and actually ask. And so, so, so my question though is, if you disclose, then won't everything be seen through this lens? Like, you know, you could have made a mistake that anybody would make, any neurotypical would make. It had nothing to do with your ADHD. But now your boss is going to see everything you do through that, oh, she's got ADHD lens. Yes. Or is it your argument that disclose it right up front? You are who you are. Don't be ashamed of it. And if this job isn't going to work out, then go find a job where they're going to appreciate how your brain works. I would say both. 
in the way of, I wish it was the way that we could just go in and disclose and everyone's just going to understand there's not going to be any bias or intersection of anything, but we're not there yet. And so there's so many people out there who are supporting neurodiversity in the workplace and especially the research coming out of the, the UK and Australia seem to be far and beyond everything that we're doing here, where if we can keep the education piece going mm. so that people understand exactly what it is to be neurodiverse or that it's not this huge difference. It's just, a, you know, it's, it's just a, a mutation of, of a brain. It's, it's not different. I mean, it's, it's, it's a variation not. on normal, right? We're just kind of at the farther ends. Yeah. And, you know, normal is what is, is what's considered dominant. You know what I mean? Right. It's, right. There's no. So, um, so what I'm hoping is, is yes, to be able to support people's, but, you know, it's, if you don't feel comfortable in that position to disclose, don't until you're ready and you feel comfortable. But the more of us who are out there and you know that everybody who's out there is doing this because of what has happened to them in the workplace and they don't want it to happen. To, yeah. to anybody else. They want to make sure that, you know, everyone doesn't feel the hurt or the pain and the shame that they have felt in the past. And so if we can start with the education piece, educating people so that they understand so that is becomes that is okay to diagnose. I had a job interview recently that I, uh, it was for like a, a mentoring and it was for um, a local HR consulting company. And it was something that I was overqualified for, but I had the nerve and I, I disclosed that I had ADHD because for me, I need the interview questions prior. And mm-hmm. right, only for like scenario questions, I'm fine. Anything else, I'm fine. But if you ask me something to recall in my past, like tell me about a time that you, you know, showed leadership. Well, I was a manager for 15 years. I'm sure I had showed leadership at some point, but I can't pull it out of out of the air. I need to have a time to think beforehand. Totally. And so I even explained this and I thought that, you know, during my request, I explained why I needed it and what, and my assets of my ADHD that would give to the company. But when I started asking the, you know, I started the interview, the woman said, well, because you asked for your interview questions first, are you going to be able to think on the spot? Are you going to need a long time to process things, you know, when you're in the position? And in my head, I was like, well, I don't know what kind of HR situation that I'm going to have to, you know, be on fire and think of things right away. That's always bitten me in the ass. You know, I, I, I have learned that it's so important to go and find the whole story, talk to everybody and figure out a good situation right. with people that you're with and not to be reactionary. When you're reactionary, yeah, you get it all wrong and, and people get hurt. It, it, it's just not effective. And so that's so, actually your asset, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a weakness. It's not a weakness. And actually, uh, I was reading that ADHD is one of the people with ADHD tend to go towards jobs like HR because they are people, people-centered yeah. businesses. It's problem solving. It's like figuring puzzle pieces out. It's, you know, you're, you're, you're good in a crisis. You're, you know what I mean? Like you. Yeah, it makes it's, sense. It's right in, you know, and, and it, it's just memorizing funny. a bunch of stuff and regurgitating no, huge long reports and, and everything else it's, mm-hmm. it's not it's it, it's quick and it's it keeps your mind engaged like it's, so it it's sounds awesome. to me like what you're saying is we need to really empower hr professionals leaders 
to, it's all about with them, right? What's in it for them? We need to convince them that they need these neurodivergent brains for their organizations because we are going to make them so much better. A hundred percent. I'm actually teaching uh, a roundtable for the CPHR, our uh, human resource designation uh, next month on supporting your diversity in the workplace and what it is. And I think it was on your one of your podcasts where someone explained uh, ADHD as the sriracha. Is it, was it, do you remember this? It's like your special sauce. ADHD is, is, is kind of like the sriracha. Like if you had a whole plate full of sriracha, it's just going to be too much. Yeah. But if you're missing the sriracha, it's like if there's like something missing. Like you need to have you need to have a little bit of everything for it to be complete. And, you know, even with AI coming in, we need to have the creative thinkers. AI is 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 linear. Right. It's it's. And so you need to have the people who are able to see the full picture and able to pull things together. Like I, I need my linear thinkers to get the math and, and, you know, all the little specific pieces that you need to be done. But like, I'm the one who can like figure these things out quickly and Tetris the pieces together because I, I just, I love that stuff. Yeah. I was listening to a, a, a TED talk with Temple Grandin and it was really funny because she started talking about how she was a visual thinker and like how she sees in pictures mm-hmm. and not everyone does. And I was like, what are you talking about? Not everyone. Because that's exactly how I see. And I, I, I was talking to my husband. I was like, like, how do you think? Like, do you, what do you see? And it's, it never occurred to me that everyone didn't think the way that I, you know what I mean? Like you need, you need to have these diverse individuals to be able to have these awesome products. So how do you do that though? How do you get them to understand again, why it's so important to have people like us in their organizations? It is about the education piece, about going in and, and saying, you know, like, yeah, I, you know, I can tell you about the traits of ADHD, but it's just going to be brief because everybody is so completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, people say and everyone gets so upset because they're like, you know, I, I'm a little bit ADHD and you have to, you know, for us who have ADHD and realize, you know, how difficult it can be, it's, that's not a thing. But at the same time, yeah, you could be forgetful. Yeah, you could be disorganized. Yeah, mm-hmm. you could be, you know, have a hard time. social. Like, so you do get it. We all have these these challenges that we're working around. So if we can say, like, I may be late, but at the same time, I'm the person who's going to work through lunch because I'm so hyper-focused. So to be yeah. able to take the good and the bad or, you know, why not just have like, and this is the way most well, what they're trying to do in the UK and Australia is to have organizational wide accommodations because it everyone can benefit from it. Yeah. So like, why not just everyone have the way I was lucky enough to have in the last, you know, 15 years and it worked out great, flexible work schedules. Like I know for myself that if I, my, anything that needs a lot of mental capacity, I have to do early in the morning. And so from like seven to like noon, I can work nonstop on the computer and I'm like, I'm on fire. I can I can process and I can do so much. By that mm-hmm. point, I'm fried. This is when I go for a run with my dogs, take an hour, hour and a half, and then all of a sudden I'm fresh again. And it feels amazing. I feel like I've I've had a really great day. But if it's constrained and you know, you can't do that, but why? You know, it's it's just learning with the individual, being able to be open around accommodations and you know consistently checking in with people to make sure that, you know, the accommodations 
are working for them and having people at the top being open about themselves so that everyone else feels like, you know, that they're understood, like, because we're supported, right? And people care. I mean, ultimately, isn't that what it's about? That you are working in an environment where you actually feel like it's not just about your work product, although that's going to be good. It's also that people give a damn about you. Well, exactly. I um, And again, I was working in an environment where I was very open to speak about uh, our differences. And so when I was working with my staff, I would say, okay, listen, you know, I, I have a horrible memory. If you tell me something, it's not going to happen. So you need to, if you ask me something, you need to email me first mm-hmm. or email me again. And if you, and you know, if I forget, it's a hundred percent follow up. It's okay. And when I was creating different systems, I included everybody and I was like, okay, this is what I was thinking is going to work. So I've created this onboarding system. I've just hired you on and I would check in with them like, okay, so what worked with it? What didn't? What do you wish you knew? And so by acknowledging that, you know, I have my challenges, I'm trying to figure things out. I understand when you have challenges, you can come to me and it ended up being an open door. You know what I mean? People come to me all the time, like, oh, I have this great idea because I was in constant contact with everyone and I was checking in with everyone to be like, what's working for you? What's not? What do you want to learn? Because that's how I learn. And it it just became a really cohesive, nice, awesome team that really worked together. And I got so many great ideas that I would never have come up with myself because it was the people who were in the front line who were working being like, this is what's coming up. I wouldn't know because I'm not doing that anymore. You know, it was, it was wonderful. I always thought that, you know, when you are in a position working in something like HR, that when you go for an interview and they do references, that you should also interview have references for the people that you supported. Like, yeah. you know, your superior can tell you if you were on time and if you handed everything in and, and, and you know, your, your work ethic. But the people who you supported and who your job actually affected, they are the people who can say if you did your job effectively or not. Yeah. I think the problem is we're still locked into this authoritarian work model, right? Where bosses feel like if I can't see them, if I can't control the situation, they're not going to do anything. Yet, I think there have been enough studies to show that, look, if you showed people that you care, you care about how they work, you know, they feel positive emotion, they're going to generate so much more work product than those people that you're managing by literally, you know, like it's a prison. Yeah, well, exactly. And like we didn't, uh, you know, over the years and I worked hybrid and I really like the hybrid model where I, you know, I went in and I had my people days where mm-hmm. I actually put on and, you know, yeah. clothes with buttons. And, <laughs> and, you know, I, I had my time and, I, you know, we, we had that energy and connection and, and things got done. And then I had my time at home because even though I can't stop moving and talking, I cannot focus mm. if people are moving and talking around me. Yeah. Like my kids, yeah. If I'm working, I'm like, no moving and talking. No moving and talking. You're frozen. Yeah. And it was just, um, it was just, it was never like, you know, it was honored that I would, I would put in the time that I said I was going to do. It's when you feel like you're not valued. I don't know how many times I'd be working, I'd be working on something so hard and then something would happen. I would talk and, you know, someone would kind of put down something or, or something wouldn't go great or I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't value something that I was doing. And I was like, well, you know, time for a coffee break because yeah. it's, you have to feel appreciated that you're part of something bigger. 
especially us, right? Because we are so mission driven. Mission driven and like imposter syndrome. Like everybody's just like one day someone's going to come in here and know that I'm just, I have no idea what I'm doing and be like, get out of here. Like, like the other thing that drives me crazy is like, I always wonder when I'm doing something, if it's taking me so much longer than a neurotypical, because I have time blindness. Mm-hmm. And I think that something's going to take a certain amount of time. So I want to have like someone who's neurotypical beside me working at the same time. So I know if what I'm doing is at the same level. Like I have no idea. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, but I'm sure you have many experiences that you can recall if you try where you got into hyperfocus and the work product just flew out, right? And it was so good. Yes. Well, I'm I'm in hyperfocus quite often. I I, I like to research. That's for totally. Sure. This is a fascinating conversation. So I am curious. What are the ADHD traits that you feel are responsible for your success? Well, definitely um, being a people person and talking and and you know, I really want to make sure that, you know, everybody is feeling good and, and feeling successful in what they do. And like, because of my mouth and talking and, and being flaky and everything else I have, I've been able to have all these crazy wild jobs working on a cruise ship for, you know, four years and traveling across South America just because someone said, you know, you want to go? And I was like, all right, didn't even think twice, two months going across South America was amazing. Okay. But being a people person isn't necessarily an ADHD trait. For some of us, it is, right? So what about being a people person do you think is responsible for your success? Like, what is it about that? I'm just wondering, like, is it your enthusiasm? Is it your energy? Is it your empathy? Like, stuff like that. Sure, yes. So uh, what it is, is I feel like... um, being a people person, being able to just go in and talk to anyone. And I love, I love learning about everybody else. And through that connection, you end up going to different places. The other thing that I think is like one of the most important things is to be able to give yourself grace. There's so many times when I've, you know, beat myself up over, you know, not getting everything done on my to-do list or not feeling like I have done enough. And I remember talking to a counselor once and I was like, I'm so upset. I can never seem to be successful at getting everything done on my list. And she said, Lisa, who made the list? And I was like, oh, right, right. And how long was the list, right? Exactly. And then she was like, you should have like a to-da list. You know, at the end of the day, anything you were successful at. I shaved my arms. I, you know, I fed my kids and kept them alive. Like you were successful, you know, cheers and hurrah. Yeah, so just to, when... There are days and everyone has the days when you are on fire and you do, you know, go through a million things. And then the next two days you do nothing. You're like, oh, I feel so terrible. I got nothing done. But if you average out those days, you have been very, very successful. Even the days where you think you haven't got so much done, you've done a lot of things, but just not the things that you were thinking you were going to get done. So just to be like, it's okay. It's in our fast paced world where we think that we always have to do more and do whatever. It's okay to be who you are and have the good days and have the bad days. I also think it's important to find your people. If you, people who get you, who understand you, and I, it's, you know, we traditionally as people, we kind of like, you know, are attracted to people who are similar to us. You know, I have my running friends and I have my whatever else, but it's also 
funny when I would look back, like uh, many of my friends are neurodiverse. And it's, I think it's because, you know, we could have plans. And then that day, I'm just like, you know what? I'm not peopling today. I'm like, I'm really going to have to cancel for a brain check. And they don't get upset. They're like, you do you, sister. It's like, you know, I'm a mom. I'm a whatever. I'm cooked today. We'll do it on another day. Or just to be there instantaneously. If you just want to like jet out and, and, and do whatever. So people who, who get you. I just got back from walking across Spain. I did the Camino. And I, oh, you're like the fourth person who's told me that in the last week. It's well, it wasn't even on my radar. It was my friend from college. It was her 50th birthday. And she said, you want to go? And I was like, well, yeah, I do. And on our last two days, like, and everyone you meet was just like, it was so timely. It was a, it was an amazing trek. And on the last two days in Madrid, I rented us what I thought was an apartment. Um, but it wasn't. It was a room with uh, another couple living in Madrid. And I was like, oh, my God, Lisa, what have you done? But again, best mistake ever. It was this couple. Um, and this guy, Bill, he was a he used to sing in um, background in Disney movies. And he was a performer and he was uh, a YouTube sensation now singing a pop song as B Daddy. And then (laughs) was Ricardo or is Ricardo. And he's like one of the top flamenco dancers in Spain. And so just like, like you two are amazing. Let's hang out. And like we went to the most amazing flamenco shows and we had like, we saw Madrid like nobody else. But uh, Bill and I started talking and, you know, he's like ADHD came up and he has ADHD. And I was saying like, and we were both talking about how our partners don't. They're both are very neurotypical. And I said, you know, I, I was in a very, very not great marriage. And my ex-husband was always putting me down for who I was and trying to change who I was. And my partner now, whenever I do something very Lisa or very goofy, he's always looks at me and he's like, that's my girl. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, it just touches. But I'm like, I always worry about being too much. Mm-hmm. And both said, Lisa, the best people are the people who are too much. And I was just like, oh, like it's finding your, look, I got goosebumps. Yeah. It's finding people and people who get you. And, you know, and I think as you get older, as you have all these different experiences, you know, you really feel for everyone else because you've been, you've been there. You've been affected in different ways. So, Lisa, what is your number one workaround? Well, I have a few. Um the first one is uh, Bubble Up, the Bubble Up app. And I've, I've heard, I think, I believe I heard about it on your show. And everyone says I need to be a Bubble Up rep because I talk about it all the time. It's like save my life where I used to have all this anxiety and all these different tabs open because of things that information I didn't want to lose. Um, and I would, I know I end up putting it in the Bubble Up folder and it's, it's reduced my anxiety. Um, and Tell us how Bubble Up works. So Bubble Up is 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 a project management, but it's also information storing. So it's an app that you can go in, you create different folders. So I have a folder for, you know, uh, human resources and all the different areas of human resources. So when I find an article or, or a note or a picture or something else, I can, I can put it in that folder. And so when I need to write a policy or I need to do something, all of the information is there. But I also use it for, you know, writing, you know, remembering what I want to get people for Christmas or or, you know, planning a trip all the information is there and you can share different folders with different people and it's visual and beautiful i just it's like i just love it um but the main thing that it helps with is procrastination there's a, a organizational psychologist named um 
Adam Grant, and he is absolutely amazing. Everything that he says is great. And he was talking about how people who procrastinate is actually a good thing because um, if you read the project and even if you procrastinate, you're constantly thinking about it. So how I use Bubble Up is I would, you know, create a note. And every time I uh, thought about something about this project that I was having a hard time starting, I would add it to this folder for this one particular project, or if I found an article or if I found whatever. So then when it came down to the very last minute of, you know, of course, when I was waiting to do my project, I had tons of information. It was already, you know, halfway through, three quarters of the way done with it, me actually even thinking about it. So it was like tricking myself into getting started, but also having a much better end product because I had been thinking about it the whole time. And, and you know, with all the thoughts that came into my head, instead of being lost, they all st- were all stored in one spot. I love um, that. The other thing, uh, the other, and I think the most important one was actually you, Tracy. Um, and, you know, as I've listened to many, many of your your podcasts, I, um, it made me feel like all these other women, like I was okay. And when I was diagnosed and it was, it was hard to kind of figure out who I was and I was reading all these different things and it was very negative. And I was having such a hard time. And now I realize that whenever I'm having those days where I'm feeling super down, super I'm broken, I can't do anything. What am I thinking? I I grab my running shoes, I grab my two dogs, and I head for the mountain. And I listen to your podcast, and I listen to you, and I listen to all the the women on the podcast, and having people who I can relate to who are actually they we made it to the other side, we made it okay, we were successful, and. You know, even because we have these different things that are difficult, there's all these amazing things as well. And I think I've saved myself millions on counseling because by the time I get down to the bottom of the mountain again, I'm floating. I am like, I can walk on water and everything in the world is okay again. And also just the the amazing women that you've had on the show, like I've connected with, you know, a number of them. Um, uh, Katie Hayes, because I'm also an artist and doing printmaking. So she has, I think it's South, South House Pattern Design or something. So she was helping me out with with Lino and then um, Kaylin, uh, who was the uh, Yeah, she was helping. I was messaging with her and she was helping me out with my daughter. And it was just like, and then, you know, make it like, it's just like. It's a community. It's a community. And it just and everyone has been so gracious and wonderful because we all want to help each other. And it's just like it's like a warm hug. I don't know. It just it's you have made me okay with me and I appreciate it and I know we all do it's just like yeah I I don't know what I would have done or where I'd be right now in my own okayness without this podcast well thank you and it's now come full circle because there are going to be women who are going to listen to you and feel the same way about you that you felt about all these other women that were on the podcast so thanks for taking the time to show up Thank you. And I would love to help anyone out because honestly, it's uh, it's been something. It's been something, Tracy. It's been great. Thank you. Wonderful. What a wonderful way to close. So what I would love to know, Lisa, is what you're working on. You know, is there anything you want to tell us about? Where can people find you if they want to know more about you? All this stuff. So I've just recently, um, because this has been my hyper passion, uh, hyper focus and passion for the last number of years, I have like delved in deep on researching everything that I 
everything about ADHD and and strategies, not only for myself, but for, for my kids and then realizing how much needs to happen within organizations and, and finding all these different organizations that are amazing, that are working on accommodations and supporting diversity. So right now I'm just finishing. I have my, one more course and I'm taking diversity, equity, inclusion at a local university here, finishing up that program. Um, and I started my own business um, and it's called Mind Mosaic Inclusive HR. Um, and it's like weeks old so that um, for my HR practice, but to uh, focus on supporting on uh, supporting neurodiversity. But and again, the more that we learn, it's just supporting diversity, supporting anyone who um, so everyone feels supported in the workplace and creating team culture and uh, systems that you know would be effective for everyone, but also helping to educate around what it feels like to have neurodiversity in the workplace and the reason why that these accommodations would be so fantastic for them and for everyone else. It's just more about connecting uh, people to understand. And, and again, like um, I'm bringing up Dr. Megan up again. She, um, but the cross culture, you know, if you know, you're talking to someone who, uh, two people with autism and they don't have uh, good eye contact, is it really a deficit? It's only when it's cross culture when, you know, if you're someone, that's when it feels like it's a deficit because, you know, you're not looking someone in the eye. Um, just to really understand each other and figure out the ways to work together um, and creating systems that are great for everyone. I really, uh, focus on uh, onboarding, training, and um, yeah, team culture. So that's what I'm doing. Okay, so give us the URL. So it's www.mymosaic.ca. Okay, and you're in Canada, right? I'm in Canada, yes. Sounds good. Lisa, thank you. so. And this is going to be in our show notes, by the way. So if you missed it, it's mymosaic.ca, but it will also be in the show notes. Thank you so much for spending time with us here today. It was a pleasure to meet you. It was a pleasure to meet you as well. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Lisa, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to help to change. What is our goal? Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at ADHDforsmartwomen.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. Join us at ADHDforsmartwomen.com, where you can find more information on my new book, ADHD for Smartass Women, and my patented Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system to help you get unstuck and fall in love with your brilliant brain.